Let's stand to read one verse, and then I alone will have to stand the rest of the time, or I should say we'll get to. But let's read. We're in verse 12 in chapter 2 tonight of 2 Peter, and this is good stuff. I'm telling you, it's amazing to me what the Spirit of God moved on him to say. So let's read it together, can we? But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption. Now, what am I talking about tonight? What is that title? Can you say it? Characteristics of false teachers. Now, y'all, think about this. We've gone through 1 John. We've gone through Jude. Now we're in 2 Peter. All of them were talking about false teachers. It must be that this is really something important to God because Peter didn't write this. He was the vessel, but the Holy Ghost wrote it. So God really has an issue with false teaching. That's why I'm so thankful it's not around today. I just want to see if you're there. I saw somebody on TV this week saying they were Jesus. So it's out there. And I tell you, he didn't look like Jesus to me. I mean, anybody that thinks this guy is Jesus is really wanting to see Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word. Bless it to our hearts tonight. Speak to us and build us up in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. We strongly desire the meat and the milk of the word. Lord, feed our spirits. Feed our souls in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Bless you. So here we go again. Do you remember how Jude came against the false teachers? I mean, Jude really came against those false teachers. Called them all kinds of names. I think there was like 12 or 14 of them we came up with or that we tracked that Jude called the false teachers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And now here's Peter doing the same thing in his second letter. And look what he's calling them, natural brute beasts. How would you like somebody to call you? That's, that's Texas fighting words. Wouldn't you think if somebody walked up to you and said, you natural brute beast? What if somebody said that to your wife? It'd be over with. What do you mean, you day men? I'm, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Now, what does it mean then? He's gotten so tough here. Look what he says they do. They speak evil of things they don't understand. They're teaching things they don't understand. They're criticizing things they don't understand. And they're going to perish in their own corruption. Now, natural brute beasts, the word brute means unreasoning and irrational. Unreasoning and irrational. They are alive, but like animals, they have no sense of the moral issues of life. Have you ever known anybody that way? They were alive, but that's about as close to being human as they got. They were li alive, that's it. But, but they had no sense of the moral laws of God. They live like animals, okay? Now the word natural means produced by nature, and made is to beget or to be born. So here's what liter Peter's saying about them literally. They are born mere animals, creatures of instinct. Now, keep in mind, this sounds like he's describing somebody out of a Steven Spielberg movie, but he's not. He's talking about people that were in their fellowship. 
They were in their fellowship. Now, I got a question for you tonight. If this is what they were, why didn't everybody see it? I mean, if you're talking about somebody who is a natural brute beast, who's purely instinctual, has no moral code, how in the world did they get away with being in the body of Christ? Why weren't they spotted and removed? Well, because they were great actors and actresses. This is discernment that has turned its gaze on these people, and Peter is revealing what they really are deep down if you strip away the mask and take away the facade. He's saying this is what they are. And so he's just removing, he's removing the actor's mask. But these people were in their body, which we're going to see in just a minute, eating with them, fellowshipping with them. And guess what, everybody? Teaching. We're not talking about people who were sitting on the back row. Nothing against y'all on the back row back there. We're not talking about people who came every once in a while and sat on the back row scowling and judging and criticizing and walked away and never really were assimilated into the body. That's not what we're talking about. These people had been assimilated into the church to the level that they were teachers. And here is the Holy Ghost shining His x-ray vision on them and saying, let me tell you what these people are really like. So folks, believe me, there's a public persona and there's a private reality. Hmm? What you see publicly is usually not what you get. For instance, in politics, perception is all that matters, not reality. It's perception. And so it was with these people. They were perceived to be teachers. I want to get this into your mind now. These were up front, front row sitting, teaching people. Uh, They had gotten into the level they were teaching, but look at what they really were. Look what was standing up there teaching. And I ask you, if it happened back then, can it happen now? Sure. Yeah. They get into our news from time to time. Now look, Peter says, you know what they're good for? They're good to be caught and destroyed. And that literally means for capture and destruction. Now, these are strong words, and I want to balance this out with something. God's not willing that anybody perish, but that all that come to the knowledge of the truth. And God so loved the whole world, He gave His only begotten Son. And whoever believes on Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So, He's not saying that these people were born just to be destroyed. We are hearing the wrath of God coming out against people who were not walking with Christ, who did not have the Holy Ghost, but the children of God had not been discerning enough to to nail them. And now here they are in the body teaching, teaching. (laughs) So, They're born mere animals to be taken and destroyed. Can we read the translation together? But these, as irrational creatures, having been born as creatures of instinct, destined for capture and destruction, railing against things of which they are ignorant, shall in their destroying surely be destroyed. Yeah. 
All right, let's read verse 13 together. And they shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they count it, it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Wow, here they are. They're feasting with you. Now let's just see what this means. See the word receive? And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. That word receive is in what we call, now here's a quick little Greek lesson. This is real simple. It's in the passive tense. Now when I say the passive tense, here's what it means. They are receiving something unto themselves. What they're doing is coming back on their own heads. They are reaping themselves what they have been sowing. They're sowing unrighteousness by teaching unsound doctrine, which matters to God. And so as a result, they are reaping unrighteousness. That's the passive tense. You remember, I remember those old Roadrunner cartoons. How many of you like Roadrunner? Meep, meep. Okay, you remember, remember who was always after him? Wile E. Coyote. Now you remember, Roadrunner always had a way of getting out of it. And how many times have we seen a Roadrunner cartoon where Wile E. Coyote is up on top of a cliff and he can see the smoke coming from Roadrunner running towards him? So he drops a boulder and it rolls down and he's timed it where it's going to crush the Roadrunner. And you remember, Roadrunner sees it coming and either comes to a screeching halt or runs past it and misses it, and it rolls up the other side, comes back down, goes up in the air, and comes down on who? What you sow, you reap. And there's a proverb that says, he who rolls a stone, it will return upon him. So he's saying, here they are. They're sowing unrighteousness. They're, they're rolling a boulder on top of people. But because God is God, he sees to it that it goes up the other side. And right when that false teacher thinks he's getting away with it, it comes back down, comes up, and slams right down on his head. So if you're ministering unrighteousness, you're going to reap it. You're going to reap it. And that's what he's saying about these people. Uh, Peter is telling us <clears throat> that as these false teachers are sowing unrighteousness, they're reaping it back to themselves. That's the passive tense. You're doing something that's coming back on yourself. Now the word riot, when I read that, I thought, well, this is talking about riot in the streets. They're rioting in the streets, but this is not what it means at all. The word riot is from a Greek word meaning softness, effeminacy, luxurious living. Now get this. This will show you, this verse, that there is nothing new under the sun, not anything. Because here's what was happening. These false teachers were living luxurious lifestyles in the daytime, not working, but living off of the money they get from those whom they lead astray in false doctrine. That's literally what Peter's telling us about these false teachers. They were in it for the bucks. That's why they were doing it. And that's who he called brute beasts. You know, you got to wonder sometimes if the Lord really shined the full force of his word on the church in America today, there'd be a bunch of grease spots, wouldn't there? Who could stand under the full revelation of God's truth? Look at this. Way back then, I thought this was just 20th, 21st century stuff. No. These false teachers rioting, that's the word that meant they're living softly. They're living luxuriously. They've got the 
high-level horse and carriage. They're, they, they're wearing the silk clothes. They're living in luxury. And where did they get all that money? They got it from those who they taught false doctrine to. They were teaching what they were teaching to milk them of their money. Wow. Now look what it says. Sporting themselves. That also, sporting, the word sporting comes from a word meaning to live in luxury, to revel in. So they were just having a blast all day long, not having to work. That's why he called them effeminate. They were not in manual labor of any kind. They were soft, genteel, wealthy, living off the money of the people, not working during the day, not breaking a sweat during the day ever. Now, how they pull this off? While they feast with you. This is how they, now he's telling us how they got in. He's telling us, now, how many of you know, if you want to have a successful meeting, have good food? Our care leaders have learned that. We've got care meetings, and you let the care group that has the, the best high-level Mexican food or really, really fine um, servings of, I mean, listen, I go to some of these care meetings, and I'm so glad I went. Because, I mean, these people are eating. I mean, they are eating. And here's what they've learned. They've learned if you feed, if you serve good food and they know it, that's one of the ways you're going to get people to come. Now, and, and what Peter is going to show us here is that fellowship, the breaking of bread with people, is one of the easiest ways to, to weave your way into their life. Because while you eat with people, you get to know people. You fellowship with people. You break bread together. It was in the breaking of bread with the two disciples in Emmaus. When Jesus broke the bread, the disciples' eyes were opened at that moment, and they knew that it was Jesus. So there's something powerful about eating together. About, that's why, you know, I, I really want to encourage our people. After church, you ought to grab somebody you don't know, say, let's go over to Charleston's or somewhere else, and let's go eat. And, because it's a great way to get to know people. So these false teachers, this was the door by which they got in, the love feast. Now the word that Peter use, uses here for feast is agapice, agapice. And you hear agape in that? Love, here's what it means. Agapice is used, which means a love feast, a love feast. We call it buffeting your body, okay? You know, that, this is Luby's, this is going over to Charles's, this is... This is really, they were feasting. It's a care meeting feast. It was like that. A feast expressing and fostering mutual love, which was held by Christians in the first century before the celebration of the Lord's Supper. They would eat, and the reason they would eat first is so that when they did the Lord's Supper, served the Lord's Supper, people would not hoard the bread and eat it for the wrong reason because they were hungry. Because the Bible talks about damnation coming and, and early death coming to some of those people who were eating the Lord's Supper and, and drinking the wine and getting drunk on the wine and eating the bread because they were hungry not to honor the Lord's body. And Paul said, you're not discerning the Lord's body when you partake of the Lord's Supper. So they would eat so they'd be full. Then they would have the Lord's Supper. And during which these love feasts, the poorer Christians mingled with the wealthier and partook with the rest of food provided at the expense of the wealthy. Those who had money are the ones that provided the food 
And the poorer people among the body of Christ would come and, and eat the food that the wealthier provided. And that was fine. We see that in Acts 2. We see that after the Holy Ghost fell. They had all things common. Nobody hoarded things to themselves. And when they tried, they died. So this was a, this was a celebratory celebration of Jesus Christ when they would have these love feasts they would eat and then have communion fellowship with one another this was family business and here comes these false teachers and they would come in and eat the food of the wealthy and so it is these love feasts that the false teachers attended enjoying the food provided by the rich and reveling in their deceptions I almost hear this in this verse they would be sitting there with the believers and they, they'd be nudging each other and whispering and, and making fun of what they really actually believed knowing that they did not believe the way the body of Christ did and making fun of them. And they reveled in their deceptions amongst themselves while they were with the true believers. That's what's going on here. Making fun of them and reveling. Well, we got in, didn't we? We're eating the food with them. And these dodo heads, they're believing everything we say. Why, we're going to be teaching this Sunday. Can you believe how easy it was to make our way into their ranks and infiltrate them with false doctrine? All right. Jude called these teachers, you remember this? Spots or blemishes in your love feasts. These sensual hedonists who live for pleasure and only pleasure had converted the love feasts into a place to carouse and revel, defiling their original purpose. There were blots and blemishes among them. You know, folks, in the day of political correctness, it's really difficult to communicate to people that sometimes you need to separate yourself from, from people. Say, well, Jesus never did that. Oh, yes, he did. That's just such baloney. He did, too. He, he ate and drank with sinners, yes, but he never took one person living in sin into his inner circle of close friends. Never. He never did what sinners do in order to reach sinners. He would minister his word to them, love them, but then move on. He never went with them and did what they did. There comes a point when you have to take a stand and say, you know what, um, I, don't think, I don't think you believe like me. Let me give you a good example. It is so high time for the truth to be told about radical Islam. Their God is not our God. That is, the God you read about in the Quran is not the God you read about in the Bible. And I believe in loving people, and I believe in ecumenicism to a level. But there's got to come a point where you say, you know what, I've got to make a distinction here. I need to make a distinction. And the, the, the God you're representing or the lifestyle you're representing is not the lifestyle I witness to. And make a distinction. There's nothing wrong with that. Because have you ever noticed this? People living in sin have no issue separating themselves from you when you come out of the closet shining with the light of God on your face. Have you ever noticed? They're gone. They have no issue. 
because they know immediately the God they serve and the God you serve are diametrically opposed. So if you can't separate from them, just witness real good and look around you. They're all gone because they have no problem separating from you. So why should you have a problem separating from them? I don't mean being exclusive. I don't mean being snub-nosed. I don't mean when you go out in a rainstorm, you drown because you're so high and mighty. I'm not talking about elitism or anything like that. I'm talking about preserving the purity of your walk and your faith. There comes a time where you just need to say, you know what? What are you doing in here? This is a love feast for believers, and you're in here teaching all this false stuff. You know, I believe you need to go where they teach what you do. And I mean, call a spade a spade. Or what happens is a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And before you know it, you've got a lot of believers in your body who have, who have been tainted and affected by false teaching. You know, you teach this way out there in our culture, and they'll nail you. They'll say, you know, you're not loving everybody. You're not being like Jesus who loved everybody. And they turn Jesus into this non-principled, weak, spineless Savior who never could call right, right, and wrong, wrong. But that wasn't the Jesus I see in the Bible whipping people out of that temple with a cat of nine tails. I'll tell you what, Jesus, when he was angry, you don't mess with him. He came in there, and there was a bunch of men in there. He came in with a cat of nine tails, and they were all gone in minutes. And look what happened. As soon as he cleared them out, it says, the sick came into the temple and got healed. So there had to be purity before there was power. Okay? So... Here's Simon Peter, man, he is saying, this is the way it is. You people need to wake up and realize who's in your love feast with you. People not walking with God. Amen, Pastor Jeff, good teaching. I'm going to get this tape. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Let's read the translation. Receiving unrighteousness as the hire for unrighteousness. Deeming luxurious living in the daytime a pleasure. Moral blemishes and disgraceful blots. Living luxuriously at your love feast. Feasting sumptuously with you. Now he's going to go even stronger on them. Let's read verse 14, can we? Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. Good grief. These people were teaching? Now let's just take that phrase, eyes full of adultery. This is a vivid picture of a man who cannot see a woman without lustful thoughts towards her. He can't look at a woman. He can't talk to a woman without having lustful thoughts towards her. Here were the teachers. Here were the teachers. And I guarantee you that spirit is out there now. Now, look what happened to these people. They cannot cease. They cannot cease means unable to stop. They cannot cease this. They can't stop this, this way that they have fallen into. They're unable to stop. And now the word beguiling means to catch by bait. To catch by bait. 
So they knew well the craft of seduction, how to bait and lure others into sin. They can't see sinning. They can't look at a woman without lusting. And they are crafty. They are expert beguilers. They know how to bait somebody who's not fully grounded in God's Word and lure them into sin. This is, this is some pretty sinister cats here, y'all, in the body of Christ teaching. <laughs> okay? Now, when he says unstable, who's that talking about? When he says unstable souls, beguiling unstable souls, it's speaking of a person who is not anchored securely or who is not solidly on a foundation. Here he's talking about doctrinally and experientially in the Christian faith. Newborn Christians or untaught Christians, they've barely gotten into the faith or they've really never been taught well, so they're unstable. Because folks, listen, the only thing that really stabilizes you and me is, is understanding the Word of God. And that's why I'm teaching it like we're teaching it here on Wednesday nights. And I never open my mouth on a Sunday that I don't minister the Word. You don't want to hear from me. You want to hear from the Word. And that's my calling to minister the Word. Why? Because the more we get the Word inside of us, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy Word. By saturating your mind and spirit with the Word. That's what takes somebody, and we're all unstable when we get saved. We're all being tossed to and fro by the, the winds of doctrine and different temptations. And it's the Word that establishes us on the foundation of Jesus Christ. But until that happens, here were these people walking into the body of Christ, their antenna up, and they would home in on people who were unstable, not yet grounded in the Word. And they knew how to bait them. And they knew how to beguile them. They knew how to bewitch them. They knew how to fast talk them and seduce them. And to go into the hedonistic lifestyle they were living. So they ruined souls. They ruined souls. Are y'all there? All right. Hey, I'm just teaching what Peter... Can you believe Peter talked about all this stuff? You didn't know this was here, did you? Now watch this. A heart they have exercised with covetous practices. Now exercise here is from the Greek word used to describe an athlete exercising in the gymnasium. In this case, Peter is speaking of the exercise of the heart, the mind, the will, and the emotions. And he's saying that these false teachers have lived in covetousness so long that their heart condition was stuck there. It was stuck there. He calls them children of cursing. So, you know, folks, that's why it matters how you live. See, the secret to your success or your failure is hidden in your daily routine. Now, I'm going to say that again. The success or the failure of your spiritual life is hidden in your daily routine. If you jump out of bed and you flip on the TV and you soak in all that PC, all that relativism, all that godlessness and head off to work, go out the door, haven't put on your armor, haven't been with God, you a sitting duck. You're a duck in the sky with 12 shotguns aimed at you. But if you get with God and you put on the armor, then you're learning 
the, the cold, hard reality that we're in a world of warfare and you've got to have on the armor every day. Every day. Every day. And as you do that, you become the opposite of these people. They're stuck in covetousness and lust. You're stuck in God and love. You're growing in the things of God. You're growing in righteousness. You got good habits going on. I can't, I'm in the habit of seeking God. I'm in the habit of praying. I'm in the habit of reading that Bible. I'm addicted. I'm hooked. I got to have my fix every day. And see, you can go one way or the other. And if you go towards the Lord, the opposite of these people is what happens to you. Because habit is habit. We are what we are. And we're creatures of habit. So can we say it together? Having eyes full of adultery and which are unable to cease from sin, catching unstable souls with bait, having a heart completely exercised in covetousness, children of a curse. Can you say it with me? I don't want to be that way. Amen. The opposite. When we read these things, you just think the believer is the opposite. All right, we're headed towards the home stretch. Is everybody happy? Let's read verse 15 and 16 together, can we? Which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozor, or Bozer, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb donkey speaking with man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. What a story. Now, when it says these people have forsaken, it's very important. This is so powerful in the Greek language. It means to abandon. In the Greek language, it reads continually, daily abandoning the truth, emphasizing habitual action. Every day, these people get up and they abandon the truth. They walk away from it. Now, every day we get up and we cleave to the truth. But these people were abandoning it. Now, these false teachers were continually abandoning the right way. Well, what does it mean when Peter talks about the right way? It means the straight road. They were walking off of the straight road. Uh, Jesus said, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. How many of you know that when you're walking with the Lord, it's restricted? And here's the deal. Isn't this funny? that the broad way that Jesus talked about that leads to destruction, when you first go down that broad way, it's almost like you're as free as a bird. You've got a million choices. You've decided to cast away the restraints of the Holy Ghost and of the Word of God. And you're going down that broad way. And you're like a kid in a candy store. But isn't it funny how that broad way begins to tighten on you? And you keep on going and say, well, you know, that's all right. I'm still going to do my own thing, go where I want to go, do what I want to do, say what I want to say, hang around with who I want to hang around with. I'm out of that church stuff. I'm not a fanatic anymore. I'm just normal like the rest of the world. And you continue down that broad way, and you wake up one day, and it's even more narrow because now you got habits you didn't used to have. And now you're finding that that broad way did not lead you to freedom, but it really it led you to bondage until finally... You're so restricted, so bound, so chained to the enemy, you're looking up and saying, God, deliver me. But now when you go down that narrow way, 
You can't do this. You can't do that. You're seeking God. You're pressed down. You're crucifying your flesh, crucifying yourself, going to church, reading that Bible, cutting your relationships with people that don't do you any good, and you're walking down that straight, narrow way. And at first it feels so restricted, but you notice that as you keep going down it, it starts getting broader. And you find that you're experiencing some freedoms you didn't used to have. And you've been set free from this and liberated from that. And now you've got the joy of the Lord and the fruit of the Spirit has grown in your life. And what started out a narrow way has become a broader way of freedom for you. And that's the way that it works. Amen. So the guy who started out the broad way is now all bound up. And you that started the narrow way, you're free. Praising God. Hallelujah. Because it's getting broader. Amen. So, but these people, they took that broad way. And when it says way, it means a road, a course of conduct, a way of thinking, feeling, and deciding. These false teachers were on the broad way that leads to destruction thinking, feeling, and were continuously making decisions contrary to God's way. And it says they were following means to tread in one's steps, to imitate another's way of acting. And they followed the way of Balaam. Well, what was the way of Balaam? Balaam was the hireling prophet who commercialized his gift. If you read about him, you read that twice Balaam was approached by Balak, the king of the Moabites, to speak a word against Israel because Balaam had a gift for divining or prophesying. And he was pretty heathen, but he still had a gift. So Balak, the king of the Moabites, approached him and said, here's what I want you to do, Balaam. I want you to curse Israel. And if you'll curse Israel and speak a negative curse prophecy over them, we got money for you and we'll give you fame. Balaam went and prayed about it. And God said, don't you dare go with them. He said, can't do it. Well, they went and got more important people and sent them with another group of people to talk to Balak. And they said, hey, we're going to give you a bunch of money and you're going to be famous. All we want you to do is go stand over Israel and curse them. Now here's a man with a divine gift. And so he went to God again, and God let him go. Now here he is walking down, or really he's riding his donkey, headed down the road, and he's going to go curse Israel. And all of a sudden, this donkey that had more discernment than a prophet of God <laughs> sees an angel standing in the road, and he stops and starts baying. Balaam starts kicking him. The angel is standing there, a mighty angel of God, sword in hand, blocking the way. The donkey won't go. Balaam gets off and starts kicking this poor donkey. Now, I want you to get a hold of this now. He doesn't discern that the donkey sees something he ought to be seeing before the donkey ever does. And he, as, as he's kicking the donkey, the donkey turns around and talks to him. <clears throat> and says, why are you kicking me? You think I'm kidding? That's in the Word of God. Why are you kicking me? And starts talking to him. Now, folks, if God has to anoint a donkey to talk to you, if you're so hard of hearing him 
that he's got to move on a donkey to tell you the word of the Lord. You're in real sad shape. And he starts arguing with the donkey. True story. Now, you know, being a word person, I just wanted to look some of these things up because it calls him a dumb donkey. You know what dumb there means? It just means without the faculty of speech. God moved on an animal that had no faculty to talk. He did something so out of the ordinary, so incredible, in hopes that his prophet would pay attention. God can use anything and talk out of anything at all. So when it says the donkey was speaking with man's voice, that word speaking is from a Greek word that means to give out a sound noise or cry. It was used by the Greeks of any sound or voice, whether of man or animal or inanimate object, as of thunder or musical instruments. The inarticulate animal spoke in a human voice to Balaam and said, don't do it. But here, look at, here's what Peter is telling us about these false teachers. Balaam was going to do it for one reason only. He wanted the money. He wanted the money. He was merchandising his gift for money. He was saying, you know, I've got a gift from God. Praise God. Instead of letting it glorify God, he said, this can make me a lot of money. So he merchandised his gift. Now, I'm going to step out a little bit again, and I just want to say this. I've seen this happen so many times. If God gives you a gift, I've been preaching on Sundays for weeks now, the gift of the talents. It is to be invested for the glory of God, not all used on you. These false teachers took their God-given gift and they were using it to make cheap money. And now here's Balaam. He's saying, well, my gift's for sale. You bet. If you're going to give me a bunch of money and fame along with it, I'll sell out. And he was selling out. And he said, these false teachers went after the error of Balaam. God help us that we do not ever, because all of you have a gift, that any gift God has given us, we dedicate it to him and use it for the glory of God, not for our own gain. There's nothing wrong with a preacher making a decent living. There's nothing wrong with uh, somebody that's out there in professional ministry making a good living. But I think it crosses a line where you can tell, listening to some people and their message, that the whole thing is geared to getting money. It's just geared to getting money. And you know what scares me about that? Is what we see here that God thinks about that. What God thinks about that. He calls it the error of Balaam. And he puts these false teachers, brute beasts, are those who went after that error of Balaam. It was all about the money. And all day, every day, they lived luxuriously with the money. So let's read the translation. Let's stand together, can we? And read the translation. You ready? Abandoning the straight way, they went astray having followed assiduously the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who set a high value upon and thus came to love 
the hire of unrighteousness, but had a rebuke for his own transgression, the inarticulate beast of burden, having spoken in a man's voice, restrained the insanity of the prophet. Do you hear the word of God there? If you sell out your life just to make money, the Bible calls it insanity. Insanity. If it's just to make money. Insanity. Crazy, baby. Okay? Well, how many of you were blessed tonight? Did you need this? All right. Remember, as we read about these people, just flip the coin and that's you. You're the opposite. And we're seeking God. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for seeing, Lord, there's nothing new under the sun that what Peter dealt with we see today. And Lord, we humbly ask you to help us to choose that narrow way that leads to life. And Lord, to glorify you with the gifts you've given us. To not sell out for money or fame, but to stay true to your call and humble before God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Give the Lord a hand of praise tonight, can you?